Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. I want to take just another quick moment just to introduce our new associate pastor, Reverend Francis Gonzalez. She is a retired local pastor, and uh, she has served uh, many different locations. Uh, she served in El Paso and recently the Northwest Texas Annual Conference, and she retired from there and moved closer to here, to, here to be closer to family uh, that are in the area. Uh, Francis has, has been just a blessing to me already, and I know that she will be a blessing to you all as she brings uh, God's word uh, to us today. So would you please give Pastor Francis Gonzalez a warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, and it's great to be here with you today. I bring the word today um, from a very special verse. The law Almighty has sworn, surely, as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. Isaiah 14, 24. Lord, bless this time we share together, and in your name, allow me to be a conduit of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The pastor's first sermons are always kind of hard because you don't know what to say, but then you have a lot to say. It's just that it doesn't make sense. So you really have to, you know, glean it and, 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 and clean it out and, and, and see what really comes forward. So all this time you're praying and praying. So I was doing the same thing, and as I was praying, the Lord told me, well, tell them about you. And I thought, mm, too soon, you know, just to let the cat out of the bag, but okay. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about me today. I'll start by, I came from Cuba at the age of 11 years old. My mother was coming with me, but she was taken off the plane, citing a visa problem. There used to be two flights a day, one at 10 o'clock in the morning and the other one at 2. She thought that she would be making the 2 o'clock flight. Uh, she didn't. My father thought things would change soon, so he decided to stay. And uh, as he stayed behind to take care of things and just await our return, um, my mother was not able to get here until I was 16 years old. I grew up in a refugee camp in Florida, and uh, when I left Cuba, that was the last time I saw my father. He died a few years later. I found out later that uh, my father had kind of thought that this could happen, and he did not want me to come by myself, but my mother had to make the decision at that time, and she made the decision based on the fact that she would be coming in the later flight. And that is, it's important, and I think that as I have grown older, has become more important, uh, because I often wonder why, you know, why did they send me by myself? You know, I was an only child from, the, from their marriage, and, um, you know, it was just kind of like, well, what did she send me? 
um, there were many things happening in Cuba, and she had made that decision uh, with what I know today to be my best interest in mind. I grew up in a refugee camp in Florida, and when my mother came back, I uh, was already 16 and, and a half and so on, uh, it was difficult for her to adapt herself to this country, and especially to the cold weather of New Jersey or New York. So um, while I stayed behind in New York, she decided to go back to Florida. At that time, I did not fully understand why the urgency, why did I have to leave Cuba so all of a sudden? Um, we were running away from communism. Castro had declared himself a Marxist-Leninist communist, and that was kind of like involved all the worst of it in one bag. I didn't know at that time, and I think that most of us did not know what it really, really meant. At that time, our churches started being closed. The clergy and the nuns were obligated to leave the country or they would be arrested. Food was very scarce. Socialism, the doctrine, was being taught at the schools and God will, God had been told he also had to leave the island. There was no room for him at all. 30 days after my arrival in Miami, I asked for political asylum, and it was granted, and I was placed in the refugee camp. The refugee camp had food, medical care, green uniforms, bunk beds to sleep on, and the nuns made us pray the rosary every single night, uh, which was a task. What the refugee camp did not have was a kind word, a hug. No one cared if we cried. There were no words to calm our anxiety or loneliness. No one that would believe you when you said, I'm not stupid, I just don't understand. And that was not only the language, but also the way of life. You just did not um, acclimate as fast as other people think that maybe we should have, or even think today that, that people should have. There's so many variables in our culture. Um, but I was there, and, and I was safe to be there. Also, no one answered the question that we had in our mind and our heart. When can we go back home? We all wanted to go back home. The refugee camp was not our permanent place, and we definitely wanted to know. After a while, they'll just say, they told us, don't, don't ask, we don't know, don't ask. And we stopped asking. Later on, um, as you made friends with the rest of the children in the camp and all that, you kind of like confided in some of them, you know, what you were going through or, or how your house was it back home or where you were from. And it was sad to know that then later on, as children would do, uh, they would make fun of you using your own words. They were making fun of your pain. So you learn not to trust. Not only don't you trust the adult, you don't trust your friends either. 
If there was a future, I did not know it. There was none for me. As life passed, at 17, I found myself living in New York. I had lost my job, and the boarding home I rented a room in will not let me stay if I did not pay a week in advance. I found myself in the park, in the Bronx, and homeless. By the second night, prevenial grace arrived. Someone came to me and offered me a couch at their home. It wasn't the best home, but I took it. I got another job, and I got up and moved out and kept on moving. It was not an easy life. I moved around always trying to get a better job, always trying to better myself. I lived in many places, met many people from different cultures, and I learned to survive. Surviving is where I put all my energies. I had to make sure that um, I was always in a safe place, sleep with the eye open, the other one closed. This was kind of like in the 60s, and, and even though my kids laugh about it, is I, I'm able to say that I didn't do drugs. I didn't do drugs, not because I was better than anybody. I didn't do drugs because I had no one behind me. See, when a friend will, you know, clunk out and, you know, and, and, and act stupid, <laughs> we would just pick them up and take them home. You know, and their mom would say, well, what happened? You guys are a black, bad influence and all that, and there's your child, and, you know, we leave. I did not have that. So I always felt that I could not do that because I never could put myself in a place or position where I would lose control. If I lost control, I always felt it would mean my life. I don't know what would happen. I don't know what would happen to me. So consequently, I, I didn't do that. But life was very different, and, and, and certainly um, it was hard and many things to learn. Years passed, and in 1998, I found myself one night unable to sleep. I had lost my job. I had children at that time that depended on me. And I was so very tired of trying, just tired of trying. I had struggled for so long, and I just felt that, you know, I was in the same circle. God, uh, my life did, was not able to get off from this wheel. I lived in a very busy and wonderful world. My problem was that I was invisible. And that was a very bad place to be. About 3 a.m. one day, I was flipping to the channels. And I must have stopped for a commercial because I went to get something to drink. And as I walked back, walked back into my room, I hear this voice said, yes, I'm talking to you. You hear something like that in your bedroom at night, you will stop. But it was the TV, 
And it's that you who are just too tired to go on, you who can't find your way, receive Christ now, and he will be all you need ever in life. Well, I don't know how, but I did. I accepted Jesus that night. Then I slept, and I slept well. Next day I got up and all my problems were waiting for me right there by my bed. Nothing had gone away and nothing had changed. Except one thing. One thing was very different. There was this presence behind me, I beside me, that I had never felt before. I knew I was not alone. Someone had my back. Someone was walking with me. See, to me, that was extremely important. If you have seen pictures of mangroves in Florida, you see the big tree and you see all these roots in here. And you wonder, are there any roots? Do they reach the bottom? Because the roots are underwater. And they do slightly, you know, there's so many. And they do reach something. I felt like that. I felt that I had no place for roots. I certainly couldn't hold on to anything. So when I felt that presence behind me, it meant so much to me. It meant that I was not alone anymore. Whatever was gonna happen, whatever was coming, I had someone on my side. And that was important. This was the beginning of my faith journey. But again, it was not easy. I started reading the Bible on my own and visited a Christian church the following Sunday. The sermon was Psalms 147.3, and it read, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Well, that was not what I wanted to hear. I did not want to hear that I was going to be bounded up, you know, crazy glue. Crazy glue was not in, invented at that time. We always had Elmer's, though, you know. But no, I did not want that for my life. Um, I told the Lord, my heart is not only broken, my heart is shattered. Little pieces, missing pieces. My heart can't and won't be mended anymore. I continued reading the Bible through the week, but I was mad. I was not happy. What Jesus was offering to do, I did not want. Over Christian radio, as I was driving to work that morning, I hear the verse Ezekiel 36 26, and he said, the Lord is saying to you, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Well, I told Jesus, nothing else will do for me. I need you to give me a new heart. And he did. 
He gave me a new heart. Soon after that, I started seeing things more clearly. I still felt pain, my pain, but then I not only felt my pain, but I felt the pain of others. I could understand when someone was getting really sick or just sick of being lonely. I understood that suffering had no color, no language, no bank account, and that a terminal diagnosis was terminal regardless of who you were. At times, I would hear me speaking in a way that I had not done before. And just, I had started journaling also, and just journaling one day, I was wondering what was this, because it came on court, I didn't plan it. It was kind of like uncoordinated for me. And then I realized I had started praying. I had prayed before. I grew up in a, in a, in a Catholic school, but this was different. This prayer was here geared to one person. It was me and the Lord. And in this prayer, I was bringing these people that in my mind I thought I was introducing to the Lord. Lord, you know so-and-so? Lord, I hear. Lord, can you help? I had started praying, not only for me, but for others. In my life, I have two things that are the glue in my mind and the life in my soul. One is trust. Trust God at all times. The hardest thing for me to do was to give God my trust. I had learned that when I have trusted someone, they had misused it. They have abused it. They have trampled on it. And I was not willing to do that again. Trusting God doesn't mean coming to him and, and giving him and asking him, you know, your, your select, celestial give me get list. But trusting God in prayer is no plan B. You pray and it begins and ends there. You don't, you don't make a plan B just in case you don't answer, let me get going in here. That doesn't happen. The second thing was believing God. See, all of us believe in God. We know that he exists. But I started to believe in God. I started to believe in his word. That if he said something... It had meaning. And if I read a promise, that promise was good for me too. I started to believe his character, his word. This became the platform of my life. This is where I stand today. I start and end right there. Do I fall? Yes, sometimes. And what do I do? I give myself 15 minutes to cry. 
and then I have to get up. I do the same thing with my kids. You all got 15 minutes to cry, and then you need to get up. We can't be laying down. We have to get up. We have to find a solution. Let's start with prayer, but we have to find a solution. We can't stay laying down. My life mantra, my banner, has become Jeremiah 29, 11, 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Most of you have this verse memorized, and you could probably recite with your eyes closed. But allow me to share what this verse means to me. God's plan for me is good and is not for bad. His plan is to give me a future and a hope, even today. Even today. As I go forward in life, his plan today is still to give me a future and a hope and not to harm me regardless of what happens around me. He is to help me. Then he tells me, then you will call on me and I will come. You will come and pray to me. And I will come. And here is the part that I want you today to take home with you. Because I believe that the whole verse begins and ends in this word that I'm going to tell you now. Then he says, you come and pray to me. I will listen to you. That's a promise. That is a promise of God. Sometimes we think that God doesn't listen. No, he has listened. He's just not answering as soon as we wanted to answer. And sometimes the answer is, wait, not now. Give me a minute. I have to get people, the rest of the people on board with what I'm going to bless you with. It's a, de it's a definite, no, you don't want to go there. But God always answers our prayers. So when I read, you will come to me and pray, and I will listen to you, I knew God was on my side because I put that together with what his plan for me is. And it doesn't matter what it's happening around. His plan for me is for good. It's not for evil. It's for good. Can you imagine God listening to a filthy rag like me, a little bug in the world? So I asked God, when will you do this? And this was the answer he gave to me. Every time. Every time, Francis, you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
at what other time can I do this? Can any of us do this? Only when we're in prayer. We are to seek him with all of our heart. He will listen. He will come. His plans for us, for me and you, are for good and not for evil. And I must stress again, we don't do a plan B. If you bring it to the Lord and you give it to him to solve, you don't need to go back and say, well, but in case he doesn't do it, I'm going to do this because if he doesn't do it, I'm going to do it my way. God has this little thing that he, he really doesn't like to do, but he will do. He will let you suffer the consequences of your choice. There's a difference between pushing God and nagging God. We can nag the Lord by telling him, Lord, 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 you know, Lord. And then there's a way of pushing him by saying, okay, you don't think it's good, but I think it's good. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then he says, okay, go on with your bad self and do it. You know, I'll be here when you come back. I'll hold you. In Spanish, we have this word. Um, it's similar to poor baby. You know, oh, pobrecito. I imagine the Lord telling me pobrecita so many times. <laughs> Just, you know, consoling me because I thought that my way was better. I learned. I believed that his plans for me were good. And then the rest just comes into place. I don't know why my early years had so much sorrow and pain. I do know that the Lord had not wasted one minute of them. I know that every moment I spent bandaging my wounds, it became Holy Spirit sandpaper, smoothing the edges of my soul. That every tear suppressed or shared, Jesus collected it in a bottle, and later on he used it as a stepping stone to service him and allow me to do ministry. And that every late night or every early morning I spent in prayer, it became a fragrant offering to the Lord. The time that you spend in prayer, it could be five minutes, it could be an hour. It doesn't have to be an hour. God gets you from the moment that you become in the position of, Lord, I'm here, and I'm all yours, and start praising his name. God got you. He'll be at your side. He's all ears everything you have to say and then you're going to think well he knows every anyway but we don't pray to tell God <laughs> about our problems or our joys or our, uh, our needs or the needs of others we pray in sharing we pray in letting him know that we know that without him 
we're nothing. That without his help, things could not be achieved. We might not all be very eloquent in prayer, you know, but that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for your heart. He said, then you will come to me and I will listen to you. And then I will listen to you when you pray to me with all of your heart. That's all. Nothing in my life has gone to waste. God has used my suffering for good. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, who has written my story. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, be our source of strength, our guiding light, our steady rock, the unmovable in our lives. Father, our trust is rooted in you. Draw us closer to you. Let your peace fill our hearts and the hearts of a nation that mourn their children today. Do not let us follow circumstances or anything that is not from you. Your word is the only path we want to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.